Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education at the 4th Universalist Society in the City of New York. This podcast is a production of our Religious Education Program, and we use it as a way to dive into varying monthly themes. This month's theme for our education is about intersectionality. And in particular, we are looking at the idea of food justice and how food is an area where so many issues intersect. Uh, and I'm really excited that we have a very special guest with us today. We have Ali Tharp. They are the program director of the UU Ministry for the Earth. They join us today. Ali, could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Thanks, Ember. It's really good to connect with 4U and with you in particular. Thank you for inviting me. Um, and yeah, I call in today from Austin, Texas, where I've been living for five years, was of transplant to Texas. My parents are both from Texas, but I was actually born just across the river in New Jersey and have early life memories going to New York City with my parents and my grandpa and love visiting New York. So I hope I can come visit you all someday. But for now, I'm way down south in Texas. Hey, you know, I've heard lots of calls for like folks saying like, oh, we need to move the progressive folks to Texas so that we can, you know, flip it. So maybe you're just, you know, part of that. A turning, Doing the turning, work. turning Texas purple effort. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about the UU Ministry for Earth and like what exactly that is? I am new to the UU myself, and I know a lot of our congregants are also a little bit newer. So we'd love to hear sure. what exactly that is. Sure. So UU Ministry for Earth was founded about 30 years ago, and it was originally called the Seventh Principle Project of the UUA. So our seventh principle being about respecting um, the web of life, the interdependence of the web of life. And so it really was created um, by a group of seminarians and ministers and lay leaders who were trying to find ways to bring you know, our seventh principle into the daily life of Unitarian Universalism. So that was the foundations of what's now the Green Sanctuary Program of the UUA, focused um, most recently on climate justice. How can congregations transform into climate congregations that are mitigating, adapting, and, and sowing resilience and also justice as we face, you know, just cascading ecological crises, climate change intersects with so many other issues. So... Our work now is, is very focused on addressing the climate crisis and environmental justice, so how to work in a, intersectionally with race and class and environment and the ways that those issues intertwine and how can we create a sustainable future for everyone. So that's what we do. We're really focused on how, how to support UUs and congregations around the country and then also the denomination as a whole. So I work very closely with the UUA and the UUSC uh, to to help us really unite as a denomination and as part of an interfaith and multi-sector movement for climate justice. Oh, that's great. I did not know that it was, you know, tied with the whole seventh principle, but I suppose that makes sense now that I step back and think about <laughs> the seventh principle. As you talked about intersectionality there, that that's... Uh, the theme I chose for the month, we had our environmental justice team decided to specifically put together a month focused on like food justice issues. And uh, as I reflected as the person directing like the adult education programming in general, I thought, you know, like, what's a way, like, what 
well, how can I summarize this? And intersectionality was like, you know, this, this is an issue that shows how, you know, it touches climate change, it touches racism, it touches uh, classism, it, you know, it touches all of these, these, different, uh, these different factors that uh, intersect in varying ways of our life. Um, so I'm curious, you know, food justice is, you know, a pretty popular term. What, what exactly does that term mean to you? You know, food is so fundamental. <laughs> we do it, we eat every single day. Food is such a fundamental part of life, you know, and living and culture. And so food justice means many things. But for me, I am most connected to food justice through some work that I do here locally in Austin. Um, you know, I think that it, it, it has many layers, right? Because our food system is incredibly complex and incredibly industrialized at this point in a way that most people aren't even connected to where food comes from and people don't have fair access to nutritious food anymore and profit has been placed over, you know, the health of people and the health of land, regardless of what the marketing says, you know. So we have um, some major systemic food injustices you know, also in, in terms of the labor of food workers and, and things like that. So for me, food justice means many, many things, but I personally connect to the work through addressing hunger in Austin and then also addressing um, the notion of the commons. Like food is actually something that I believe should be available. Like everyone has a right to food and that it's something that is... Um, is so deeply commodified in our culture. Like people are no longer used to harvesting food that they haven't bought, you know, harvesting food at all unless they harvest in their own property, you know, do gardening at home or in a community garden. So I work with a project here in Austin called the Festival Beach Food Forest. And it is a citizen run initiative that is growing edible and medicinal plants on public lands in, in a public park. And so we're focused on how do we how do we take this land that's meant for the public and use it to create hyper local, hyper nutritious, totally free food that anyone can harvest from the park. Um, so I'm I'm really passionate about that because it feels like the, the commons is something that has just shrunk so very much with the dominance of of our more capitalist and commodified means of of living and production so I get very excited about that and it's in a part of Austin that is very uh, gentrified but historically Hispanic and um, and so it it's also you know technically a food desert a place where there's not a lot of access to affordable nutritious food so by creating a place where people can harvest pea shoots or fruits directly you know directly for free from the park um, we're kind of breaking those those social divides and barriers of access. Right. Like even as somebody who who grew up in the Midwest, I, I you know I saw the farms, but like and actually my family of previous generations owned a farm, but like I still felt so so disconnected from any idea of like ah oh, this is where where the food actually like comes from. And I think COVID has really been kind of a, a wake up call for folks about that that like they didn't. Why? Why is why is our food supply having issues? Oh, well, it turns out you know, 
like the food, it might be harvested here, but then it's sent to get packaged in another country and then shipped back, processed somewhere else, and then sent back to us. And you're like, people, people have become so disconnected from, from that food production. And that's right. usually also causing some major climate damage as well. Like with all that shipping things around and getting produce from, from all over the world so quickly and easily. Right. You know, I think fundamentally food justice is created, like everyone should have access to food, period. <laughs> like, you know, but then we've, we've done that in such a way. A lot of injustice has even been bred from like stripping ancestral food ways. So if you look at like Native American people, the government sent them this packaged, terrible, hyper-processed food in boxes for generations. And now you see a, a, you know, a resurgence of a movement of how can we actually reconnect to what grows here and um, what our ancestral foodways are and how they connect us back to the land. So that's a lot of, of where I connect in with it. I also volunteer on the board of a food pantry that's right next to the food forest and with local, um, it's called the Austin Camp Support Network. So helping people who are living in tents um, throughout the city um, to, I love cooking and I have since I was five years old. So I'm like, um, I cook three times a week for camps here in Austin and, um, yeah, just see it as a way to, to feel rooted and, and be able to help others in this time where, you know, we're all isolated and where so many people are struggling. And while, while I'm tempted to go on, you know, that my, my inner Marx studier, I was tempted to to dive into the comments for a nice like hour and a half or so. I'm going to I'm going to hold back my <laughs> temptation. Um but you know like in thinking about that like I think about how so many uh like church buildings maybe not so much for us in like the middle of the city but so many church buildings have these huge plots of land that they're not really like doing anything with and like it was always like my dream like oh, someday I'll you know be maybe be the pastor of a church and open up like a garden and everything not so easy and you know in the middle of the city but like it seems like there's so many ways that like religious communities could find a way to to engage that idea of the commons and to engage you know like you were talking about with cooking for people like what are what are our options for like you know getting out there and, and cooking for others uh and because maybe they don't have that time to cook um and so i mean there's so many different ways that we can that we can do this kind of work so what are you if you were if someone like asked you um like on the street what can i do to fight for food justice uh, you know like what, what what would be like a couple things that you'd maybe like recommend them to get started thinking about hmm. I'll, I'll play on the streets of new york city <laughs> if i were imagining myself there um gosh you know i think it can it, be the streets of austin too if you'd okay. like <laughs> It, it 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 is a very place specific culturally specific um you know very contextual question and also to to who people are and what your resources are i do you know try to i encourage like there's farm workers boycotts and and you know movements that you can support so that that's one way like those are very simple ways where you can connect like the um Coalition of Immokalee Workers is someone you use, have been really in relationship with, mostly through USC for a really long time. Um, but there's also the Driscoll's, um, a lot of people who work for Driscoll's Fruit Company, there have been boycotts over their treatment of workers. So those are things that um, there are farm worker led movements that you can, you know, subscribe to their newsletters and stay in touch with. 
But it's also, yeah, I think because we eat food every single day, it's also being mindful of the foods that that we eat and and really just the one thing I encourage everyone to do is like stop thinking of food just as a commodity, you know, um, to actually um, not everyone has access to, you know, to, to eating from farmers markets, but a lot of folks do. And I think ultimately when we're talking about sustainability, our food system's a major, it's in major need of transformation and overhaul. You know, it's completely dependent on fossil fuels, completely dependent on, on injustices of, of the, the workers themselves, complete undertreatment and abuse of labor is, is just ingrained into our food market right now. And, um, yeah. And, and, a sense of entitlement to cheese from New Zealand. You don't need cheese from New Zealand. <laughs> like there's ways that we can, you know, really break from from a entitled sense of like the world is my oyster and the market is is this, you know, smorgasbord for us to um, to really reconnect to food as a fundamental building block of life and of culture and of community. Um, so I, I would start there, and and also in terms of you know who are who are your neighbors and what is the the local food ecosystem look like? Um, there's amazing projects all over this country and all over the world that are that are doing really amazing things around this. And yeah, I think that um, also a lot of UU churches around the country that are have you know community garden plots that they're doing in partnership with food banks or in partnership with community land agriculture projects and like like I'm doing on that piece of parkland here in Austin creating just edible and medicinal landscaping right so even to me even community gardens people pay for little plots of land um, but we can also just create you know the Garden of Eden on every street corner if we wanted to um, there's so much that, um, that so much knowledge that truly has been lost, you know? So another way is just even with education, like what are, what are the native foods to your bioregion and, you know, how can, how can you start reconnecting so much that, that has been lost or very close to being lost, you know, that is not being passed down to new generations because we're so used to everything being accessible in the supermarket. So. I, I think often, what would it look like? Um, and I think those kinds of, you know, teaching children how to garden, things like that are are um, really important, really fundamental. Right, yeah. I mean, I think I think you really have it spot on there with thinking about how it just, we've got to fundamentally reimagine uh, and, you know, in some, in some, in some ways revert, uh, but just also just reimagine our, our understanding of food, like revert to learning some of these old ways, but also just reimagine the whole system because it's just obviously not working for so many people. You know, I think that, you know, as you, as you were saying there about, you know, that uh, we, we've come to expect that we can just get the cheese from New Zealand. And I think that especially in America that, you know, we're, we're even maybe a little bit extra guilty of that because even a lot of the imported products are somehow cheaper than, than products uh, produced locally. And, when I lived abroad for a little while, you know, the, the interesting thing was that like the foreign products, they were taxed higher, they were, you know, higher prices. So like I had to like think about what food I was getting because I had to truly eat more local because it was just so much more expensive to 
to get all the imported food and it, you know, I realized that it gave me so many opportunities to like experience and try new foods. It was really cool. Um, so I think, I think you offered a lot of wisdom there with that. Um, so you, you've hit on it a little bit already uh, in talking about like the work you do at the UU Ministry for Earth. Uh, but you know, what, in what ways do you see food justice connecting with that work in general, like that the work that uh, the UU Ministry for the Earth does? Now, I would say we are going into the spring. Ministry, UU Ministry for Earth has a spring program called Spring for Change, a season of sacred activism. And so we're encouraging congregations to really dive into these issues between World Water Day on March 22nd, Earth Day on April 22nd, and Biodiversity Day on May 22nd. So, you know, there's um, a theme that we're focusing this year on called the path to healing and regeneration. That's the way we're really, regeneration is something that's kind of that, it may be the newest buzzword within the food justice conversation, you know, but how can we, you know, there's some critique like sustain, just sustaining is not enough. We really need to, to regenerate. And by that, you know, we, we know scientifically speaking that our, our soil, our, you know, the, the um, health of our ecosystems has degraded really rapidly and significantly. And within the next 30 years, we could lose all the good topsoil on the planet, you know? And so regeneration is really focused on how do we, how do we, garden or grow or shift agricultural and land practices in such a way that it can rebuild the health of the soil, the ability of the land to absorb carbon, sequester carbon, and also um, replenish our aquifers, right? All of that is connected. So um, Ministry for Earth is focused on healing and regeneration of the earth, but also of our, our culture, our society, and ourselves. So looking at um, those two themes and how they intersect healing, um, healing ourselves, healing our communities, healing the earth. And, um, and then regeneration is also about creating new life, new possibilities, um, and using really shifting towards how, how does the ability of life to create and um, exponentially. I'm always amazed when I look at you know, the seeds from a single plant. There's hundreds of seeds that come out of a single plant and then each of those can produce hundreds of seeds. So there's this truly exponential um, capacity of life itself to regenerate and, and create abundance. And there's a lot of really powerful conversations happening about what would happen if our economies weren't so based on extraction, but instead on on this foundation of abundance and, and the ability of life to regenerate and, and um, multiply. So those are some of the themes that we'll be digging into with UU Ministry for Earth and also just purely encouraging congregations to dig into in your own programs as well um, in the coming months. And um, besides that, I would say we hosted a film screening last November as part of our Thanksgiving series called Gather, which is looking, as I mentioned earlier, about indigenous foodways and the the history of um, indigenous, yeah, food justice issues, treaty rights, and um, the ways in which those communities are are looking to the earth and to food for healing and um, cultural. Uh, restoration. Some ways that I can I can name, and um, I think it's 
it, it's really exciting. I'm really hoping to connect with congregations who are doing this sort of work. And, you know, I wish I, there's like, there are many um, that are doing really cool work. I remember I was in New York for the climate march in 2015 and talking to one of the congregations in Brooklyn that had like a rooftop beehive going on. Like I know there's stuff going on even in New York um, that's really cool and really connected to this issue. And I applaud the, you know, the webinar series that you all have been doing this month as well. It's definitely a hot topic right now. I'll say that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that the, the reason it's even more of an extra hot topic is kind of what you got there is this is such a uh, intersectional thing like that, that talking about food relates to talking about climate justice, relates to talking about um, sustainability, relates to talking about like, can we handle uh, the climate change catastrophes that are coming? You know, this this all links together. Like, and uh, we had on the the first Tuesday on the twelfth. You know, we had folks specifically talk about like what, how much you know the emissions were from from uh, cows, and like you know, I've heard that figure a little bit before, but it was really like interesting to like see it broken down because you think like, oh, it's probably like all the shipping of it that like that that really makes the difference. So just eating local will really change it. But like it was such a little small sliver and like, cause there's transforming the earth in such a negative way. Like you were talking about with like eroding topsoil, like there's just, there's so many things, so many moving parts. So like food justice, this seems like, and you know, related, especially with ecological justice, seems like a good example of intersectionality. Um, so I'm curious, like we, we've hit on a few of them there. Like I'm curious, you know, what other ways you see, the, the battle for food justice being an intersectional battle? Well, I have to, I realize I should have mentioned, and I'll mention now, the United Nations office, the UUs at the United Nations and UU Ministry for Earth are partnering for a spring seminar, April 9th through 11th, that's focused on food equity and sustainability at the international level. So I'm going to start big with international and say, you know, ending hunger and transforming the way our food systems fits into the sustainable development goals at the United Nations, which are really, you know, a series. There's 13 sustainable development goals, and each of those has sub goals within it. A lot of those relate to our food systems, but they also relate to to educating and empowering women, and to ending war and creating, you know, more peace in the world. So they, in themselves, are this you know, they don't use the language of intersectionality. They're like top government, international, diplomatic context. So the language is different, but the intention is still the same. Like we know that, you know, um, that these issues connect, you know, and and that if we if we are addressing all of them, you know, in a very intentional way, then, then there's so much more we can accomplish. It has this compounding effect. Um, so I'll mention that the UN level, the, the way that food intersects with our, our sustainable development goals to transform <laughs> towards peace and um, ending poverty worldwide and addressing the climate crisis and um, all the things. But when I scale down, you know, one thing that is also, again, food being such a cornerstone of culture, um, if you are trying to organize to organize intersexually means to organize with people who are not necessarily like you um, and to build unity across, you know, the, the, the dividing lines of injustices. And so 
when you do that, breaking bread together, actually coming together to build relationship, food is, is one of the most joyful, easy ways to do that, to, to share dishes um, and to celebrate um, culture through food and building of relationship through having a meal together. So actually stepping back from like, okay, what are, you know, what are our priorities and our framework for coming to this work versus your framework for coming to this work? If we can just actually see each other's humanities and have a meal together um, and start with that relationship, there's a lot, um, a lot that can happen in that way. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say that, that it's something that regardless of what social justice issues you focus on, being mindful about how food connects to the way you meet, the way you support and feed your volunteers and the communities that you work with, um, it really comes into play within any, any social organizing whatsoever, you know? Yeah, I, I think the other piece I wanna name, Ember, is the, that there are these meta structures, these systems of like, we are connected and we're, we're connected and disconnected at the same time. You know, like the spinach that I have in my fridge is probably coming from farm workers in California who are dealing with, you know, wildfire crises and um, immigration, you know, really harmful systems and, and people that, you know, so there's this way that we are connected, but that we're, there's also very intentional. You don't see that when you see the package, right? But if we can find ways, we really have to find ways to deepen our um, our solidarity and our sense of relationship to those communities and also give them the ability to have a voice and in policy and um, also in the you know, just the social sphere, because there's unfathomable pressure on them, you know, I just truly horrific <laughs> pressures on people who are, um, you know, like, in the frameworks of COVID, like, frontline workers on so many levels, people who are actually helping keep our systems and our society running. Um, but they didn't have access to you know, relief bills or in a lot of times, like I think the wildfires are a really good example of, you know, immigration crises and, and food justice crises and climate crises intersecting. Um, so it does, food justice, again, it's one of those things where you can look at it at a local or an international or a regional scale. And um, it just has so many layers that you could, you could peel this onion for a whole year and still find ways that um, that it, it connects all kinds of things. And also most of the farm workers in the world are women. And yet you, most people don't think of women when they think of farm workers. Um, so there's, um, yeah, just many, many layers. There's always more to learn and always more work to be done. Like I thought that I was pretty conversant in talking about food justice, but as I've like gone to some of the events we put on, I'm like, wow I didn't even like know that so I, I definitely feel you know, that like there, you're always learning something new and always discovering just a, another layer that there's always work to be done mm -hmm. um, I think that that you, you got that right that it is it is such a big issue that like you know find where you can get plugged in and, and get to work sort of thing so if if we were to wake up tomorrow in a perfect world with full food justice I've heard some people call that like food sovereignty 
um, you know, what would that, what would that look like to you? What would, and what would an ideal food system, but in a still very human um, world look like? What's on my mind right now is like the farm workers in India, they're the, it's the biggest strike in, in history really is what's happening in India with farm workers right now. Um, and it's barely hitting the radar of the U.S., um, you know, attention right now. Um, so there's something about like the ability of like, again, so many people who are actually the backbone of our food system do not have any power politic, like they're, they're systemically disenfranchised. So I think that that would have to change, you know, that the people who grow our food would have to have some, um, some, you know, fair wages and sovereignty and ability to, um, to influence that relationship to policy and to, you know, trade agreements and things like that. So many of those, um, those are major um, issues. But, you know, from the lens of waking up and going outside and what do you see, you know, that's a different way of um, imagining it. And, and I come back to, you know, like, actually, there's something amazing, like, um, so I spent most of my life, you know, not actually knowing the names of any of the plants that I walked past, right? So, like, it would actually look different in terms of a shared, very broadly shared knowledge of, um, oh, hey, here's this, you know, being able to actually harvest fruits from the park in your neighborhood, right? Or um, go visit your, your neighbor. Um, a block over who grows the sprouts and you grow the flowers and um, and so creating um, a sense of community, a more localized food system and a food system where, you know, a lot of what I do also is reclaiming food from the landfills and, and rehashing it into a casserole and distributing it to people who don't have money to buy food, you know, so I think it's close to 30% of the food is is thrown away you know in this country so a system that that the food that's produced is actually put into people's hands that it's not a hundred percent commodified in a profit-driven market but that there's actually some community um community commons and community control and and worker control of cooperative food system that's that's a lot of what i see when i kind of go into that what's it look like from the vantage of a single person in their neighborhood I, I think that's that's a beautiful vision of, of what it would look like uh and i also appreciate you mentioning the, the farmers in india i think that was what like a, a million a million plus uh, like a uh, strike slash march um, yeah like was, huge uh, the yeah. things that strangely don't get mentioned in, in, in american news they don't want they don't want people to to wake up to thinking about the power that we could have if we start making some demands. But, you know, I think on an issue like food justice, it's important that we do. I am so excited to get to share this podcast with others. And I am so thankful that you were able to join me today to record it. So Allie, thank you for joining. Thank you, Ember. This was great. I really um, applaud for you for all the great learning you're doing. And I hope to stay connected with you through the Spring for Change season of sacred activism so we can connect around healing and regeneration through food and 
other means. Ali, I will get all of those links from you and I will include them in the show notes for all of our listeners as well. Make sure to check those out below if you've, if you're listening. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners. We always appreciate subscribing, likes, and all that good stuff, sharing. Uh, it helps make sure that this uh, education gets out into the wider world. So thank you, Ali. Thank you, listeners. 